Tonight, what we're going to talk about is what is it that marriage is intended to do? So what do we get out of marriage? What is it for? What is it supposed to do for us? And really, you know, I said this uh, as we've been kind of gearing up to start this series. What I said is that there isn't really any marriage issues, but there's people issues. Okay, so even as I'm talking about marriage tonight and we're talking about what is marriage for and what is marriage intended to do, you can translate that into just relationships in general. You can translate that into community. You can just translate it into life. And I'll try to kind of show how it's applicable to different things, although focusing in on marriage in particular. Okay, so tonight we talk about what is it supposed to do for us? What is marriage intended to do? And if we understand this, it helps us to know why it can be difficult, why relationships can be difficult, why marriage can be difficult, if we understand what it is that it's supposed to do. And we can also understand why it's difficult and then how to transform that and so that it's not difficult or so that the difficulty itself is transformed into something beneficial. Okay, so what is marriage intended to do for us? Another way to ask that question is this. What do we come to marriage for? So if you are married, what, why did you get married? Or if maybe you want to get married, or if you're in a relationship, why, why did you enter into a relationship? What is it that you want? Why, why did you come to it? Even if, so if you're single and you're like, man, hopefully one day I get married, why? Or if you are married, what, and it might be hard to remember, and maybe you're even asking yourself that question, why did I do this? Well, why, why, what do we come to marriage for? What's the reason? And obviously, there's a reason. Obviously, we come into it with a lot of thoughts, a lot of desires, a lot of expectations. You know, there's, and I know this is a little bit hard to see, but people, this is just a little infographic of all the different things that kind of go into planning a wedding and thinking about a wedding. You've got to think about the rings that you're going to get, who's going to be your photographer, where you're going to have your honeymoon, what kind of food you're going to have, what kind of colors you're going to have, what kind of wedding invitations you're going to have, who, who's going to be your people that are standing up with you, who do you have to cut, how are you going to tell them that you're cutting them, how you got to have even on both sides, you can't have 10 groomsmen and two bridesmaids, and then other people are like, well, you got 10, why didn't you invite me? I mean, you got to think about all this stuff. You got to think about the wedding body. You got to think about all these different things, right? Who's going to do your hair? Who's going to do your nails? And then, ladies, you got to think about the same thing. Who's going to do your hair? Who's going to do your nails? My brother, when he got married, he got a manicure, and I've never gotten it. You know, no offense if you know you get a manicure, but he was like, you know, I was like, oh, I guess okay, a wedding's an exception. You can get a manicure. So, I mean, you, all this stuff goes into it, right? All these things go in, and, and it's because there's a reason. Like, we're hoping to get something out of it, right? You don't just do all of this stuff, spend all of this money just because. I mean, there's obviously something that we are like, man, I want to, this, I'm going to get something from this. And if you kind of boil it all down of what do we come to marriage for, and I know maybe this is basic, but what we come to marriage for is happiness, right? We come to marriage to be happy. I mean, people even talk about it's the happiest day of my life, or people say, man, I'm just looking for someone to make me happy, or giving advice, hey, find someone that makes you happy. So we come to marriage looking for, man, I hope to find happiness. But what happens, and this is again true whether it's marriage or just friendships, somewhere along the way, things get difficult, right? Right? come, we've got this great day, we've got this honeymoon, you put all this money into it, or just friendships, man, you hope, man, these people are nice, I like hanging out with them, and then somewhere along the way, things get difficult, right? Every relationship, somewhere along the way, stuff starts to drift, stuff starts to get hard, stuff, and most of the time, it's not two years in, and then boom, some explosion, usually, there's a drift that starts to take place somewhere along the way. Something begins to happen. Things begin to grow cold between one another. Things begin to just feel old and complacent. Maybe people withdraw. Maybe people just quit. Maybe people throw in the towel. Maybe people keep on going for t- till the very end, but there's just distance. Somewhere along the way becomes a struggle. So why? Is that just the fate? Is that just kind of what happens? That's just how it is? What, what happens? What, what goes wrong? What is it that goes wrong? We come to marriage looking for happiness, looking to be fulfilled, looking to be satisfied. But isn't it weird to think, man, we spend, and this is just weird, we spend millions, and I don't mean we as in right here, but we spend millions of dollars on weddings and millions of dollars 
on marriage counseling and divorce. I mean, how do those things fit together? How is it that, what is it that goes wrong? How can there be such this big high and then struggle, trouble, turmoil? What happens? What goes wrong? And let me just give you a snapshot, okay? A couple scenes. And maybe you'll resonate with parts of these scenes. Maybe they speak to your story, okay? So first I'll give you one from my life, and then I'll just give you kind of a hypothetical scenario. And this is just kind of a composite of some things that happened in my life, okay? So let's say my wife and I were at the house, okay? And we've got an upstairs and a downstairs. And let's say I come upstairs. We've got a neighbor that has like 47 dogs, okay? They actually have seven, but it sounds like 47. So they're, they're just going to town, right? And they're just barking. And then there's, I mean, in our neighborhood, there's a ton of dogs. And so when those seven dogs bark, then these two bark. And then it's just like this choir of barking, okay? So it's annoying, right? Now, to me, it's annoying. My wife, she's probably getting anxious right now, even just hearing me say that, hates it. Okay, to me, it's annoying. She hates it. So let's say I come upstairs, and she's like, oh my gosh, the dogs are freaking out. They're barking. They're going to town. I can't stand it. It's freaking me out. It's bothering me. Why can't they shut up? Why can't blah, 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 and going? Okay, so after a little bit of that, my eyes are going to glaze over, and I'm going to say, it's not a big deal. Like, put some headphones in. Stop freaking out about it. I'm not freaking out about it. Don't, don't they bother you? Yeah, they bother me, but it's not a big deal. Just stop freaking out. Stop complaining about it. You shouldn't complain. The Bible says not to complain. <laughs> Let me show you a verse, right? Stop freaking out about it. It's not a big deal. Just get over it. It's okay. So our, and she keeps talking about it. Look, I don't want to talk about this, okay? They're just dogs. Okay, you don't want to talk about it? Fine. Okay, fine. Now what happens? Well, conversation done. I mean, that doesn't end with then. Okay, sweet. So what do you want to do? Right? What happened? I mean, what went wrong? Or think about this. Guys at work, working hard all day, hard at work, hard at the office, people complaining, people backstabbing, comes home, looks at the house, his wife has been home with kids, goes, man, looks like a bomb went off in here. What happened? Well, maybe you could help pick up the bomb. Well, I mean, what have you been doing all day? Why don't you clean up the bomb? I've been working all day. You've been working all day? I've been working all day. What do you think I do all day? Well, I don't know. Why do you got to bother me about this? This is why I like to stay working late. Okay, fine, whatever. I'll just go work outside. Okay? What happens? What goes wrong? Now, again, I know those are very specific situations involving dogs and involving a wife and kids and husband, but think about just your own life. What happens? What goes wrong? What is it that goes wrong in those situations? Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says two things. First of all is this. We live in a broken, sinful world. So here's what's interesting. You know, you watch Disney movies. You guys watch Disney movies, right? Okay, so we watch Disney movies. And um, so here's what happens. Like, let's take Cinderella, for example. Cinderella. You've got an evil stepmom. Well, first you've got a death in the family, right? So her dad dies. You've got a death in the family. Then you've got an evil stepmom. You've got mean people. You've got slavery. I mean, she's basically a slave. You've got jealousy. You've got uh, people making fun of each other. So bullying going on. You've got all this, like, broken world stuff, right? Death suffering, slavery, insults, jealousy, all this stuff, lying, then, talking mice. Then you've got, or just, you know, mice, right? Mice are bad. So you got all this stuff. And then she gets married, live happily ever after. But what happens in the real world? You've got broken world, like they accurately depict in Disney movies, broken world. Then you've got marriage, in a broken world. It isn't broken world, marriage, happily ever after. It's broken world, marriage in a broken world. So what goes wrong? First of all, it's this. We are living our lives in a broken world, right? We're all living our lives in a world filled with hard things, bad things, suffering things. 
second thing, though, is this. It's not just that the world is broken. It's that we are broken. We don't just live in a sinful world. We are sinful people. And so we're married to people, or again, if you're not married, you're just in relationship with people that are sinful people. Two people come together, and they're both sinful people. And this is what we looked at last week. We looked at this verse, and I'll just show it again. And this kind of says what sin is. Okay, there's a lot in this verse, but again, I want to focus it on this line. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all. Now listen to what it says the problem is, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So this is what the Bible says that sin is. Sin is we are living for ourselves. That's what it is. Now, that gets fleshed out in all sorts of different particulars and specifics, but the core of it is we live for ourselves. Another way to think about this is we live to seek to build our own kingdom. The Bible has a lot of language about kingdom and how we, living for ourselves, we're trying to set up this kingdom for ourselves, where things go the way we want them to go. We've got a picture in our mind of what a good kingdom would look like, and we're working towards that. So what's the problem? The problem is this. We do our lives in a broken world, and we ourselves are sinful people seeking to build our own kingdoms. Now here's what happens. You put those two things together. If you are living life seeking to build your own kingdom in a fallen, broken world, here's what happens. Dogs bark in a fallen, broken world, right? In a fallen, broken world, dogs are incessantly barking. And then, not necessarily intentionally, but that spills over, because that's damaging your kingdom, that spills over onto your spouse. I mean, most people don't go, I'm having a hard day at work, because I'm living in a fallen, broken world where things go bad, where people backbite, where people do things, where work is stressful, where the economy is bad, where there's layoffs, where there's suffering, where there's sickness, where my back hurts, where whatever. Most people don't go, man, I'm having a bad day. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go home and just be really mean to my spouse. That's what I think I'll do tonight. That'd be a fun night. No, it's not. We live in a broken world. We're trying to build our kingdom. That gets affected. It gets damaged. And that spills over onto the people in our lives, right? I mean, most of the time, there are things that we're like, man, I want to make you mad. There is intentionality sometimes, but a lot of times, it's we live in this broken world, and because that's messing with the, us living for ourselves, for the kingdom that we're trying to build, it gets in the way of the other person. And then second thing is this. So we live in a fallen, broken world. We're trying to build our own kingdoms. The fallen, broken world affects our kingdom, but also the kingdoms collide. So look, if I'm trying to build my kingdom, if I'm trying to say, man, life would be good like this, and my wife is saying, man, I'm trying to build my kingdom, and life would be good like this, you got, you got some Game of Thrones going on. I mean, you got some conflict that starts to happen. Two kingdoms under one roof starts to collide. So this is true with a spouse and a spouse. It's true with a, if you're trying to build your kingdom and your boss is trying to build his kingdom. It's true with your friends. It's true with all sorts of things, right? That if we're living for ourselves, saying, man, this is what life could look like. This is what I'm trying to build. This would be great. This is, it starts to conflict with the other people in our life. So here's what happens. A lot of times when I talk to couples, they go, man, I don't even know what we fight about. We just fight about a thousand different little things. I, I mean, we don't really have any big problems. We just fight about all these little things. But underneath, there's usually themes to that. There's usually themes of I'm trying to build, and here's what I mean when I'm saying building my kingdom, okay? What does it mean to live for yourself? It means that you say, man, this is what I'm really living for. This is what I'm really after in my life. This is what I really want out of life. This is where I'll really find meaning in life. This is where I really find a sense of well-being and satisfaction and joy in life. This is where I really get a sense of identity from, a sense of worth and value from, all of those types of things, okay? That's what it means, and we each have a different version of that, and those collide. 
So here's what this looks like. This is a really helpful diagram. Each person is represented by a heart. Okay? The Bible says that we operate out of our hearts, that we live out of our hearts, that we're living for something. And it's different for each of us. Then what happens is out of our heart, so this is you, okay? Out of your heart comes behaviors and patterns that then affect someone else's heart. And then when that affects their heart, out of them comes behaviors and patterns. And in the heart, it says relational themes because usually even under all the thousands of different behaviors and patterns, there's still a theme of something out of your heart that you're living for. And this says fears and desires because what we live for can be expressed in fears or desires. So you can say, I'm living for success and I fear failure. So let me give you some examples of this. And this is really helpful. And for those of you that are, you know, I know some of you are just checking things out, but in our Facebook group, I'll post some more of this stuff. Let me just give you a couple examples. Okay, let me use the example I already said about myself. So what's going on there? What is it that that I'm living for? What is it that my wife is living for that starts to affect? Well, and there's, you know, this is not simplistic, okay? I'm giving you a, I'm giving you a, a, um, a smaller version, but let, let's look at it like this. So if my wife is living for, man, you know, and I'm not saying like just every single day, every single second, but in every moment we are living for something. And life flows out of our hearts into our behaviors. So let's start with this. My wife, one of the things that she tends to live for is control. And I'm not saying she's a control freak or something like that, but having an orderly environment, things going, man, this is nice and ordered. So dogs jack that up, right? So some of you are like that. I mean, things like, man, you are messing with my kingdom. Okay, so that's what she lives for in that moment. Dogs jacking that up means complaining. Now, for me, comfort can be something I live for. And I just want things to be nice and easy and smooth. Peace. So I, a lot of things roll off my back. I, I mean, I, I don't get upset about a lot of, like, man, dogs, this. And I, and I just like to, just peace, comfort. But complaining, man, I hate that. In my kingdom, there's no complaining. I'm like a middle school coach. Stop whining, okay? And so when complaining attacks my comfort because I just want some ease, how do I respond? Well, my comfort's getting messed with. My comfort's getting messed up. So I don't want that to happen. So I, I respond in the ways I just told you already about, right? So I respond saying, man, stop it. You're messing with my kingdom. You're messing with my heart. I don't say you're messing with my heart. I say, you know, I say stop. You're messing with my relational themes, okay? I don't say that, right? Say stop, okay? And then what happens is that affects her heart. Let's just stick with control, and we all have different things operating in our heart, so I'm, you know, it's a little simplistic, but affects her heart with, man, ten, let's, say, let's say for her, she was thinking, man, tonight, again, think about order, control, and things going the way you want them to go. Tonight, I wanted to have dinner, and then I wanted to uh, work on this, and then I wanted to um, spend a couple more hours um, doing some chores or something, okay? But now we get in some sort of argument, and then she starts to think, man, my whole day's messed up. My whole, the whole rest of my day is messed up. I won't be able to do this because we just spent time talking about this, and that makes her upset because it's messing with control. And then if she, start, if she says that, if she says, well, now, you know, we just spent an hour talking about stupid dogs barking, and now blah, blah, blah. Okay, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Now you're really messing with my comfort. And it ends up in this big cycle where one person's kingdom collides with another person's kingdom. Or how about this? Let's say you got a husband, and this can be a wife or a husband. Let's say you got a husband who, for him, his kingdom, the perfect picture of his life, what he's living for, where he gets meaning, where he gets value, where he gets worth, is success. And if I'm successful... Ah, feels good. That's in my kingdom. Success rules in my heart. So what does he do? Oh, he's putting in hard hours at work. He's working long hours. And then what happens? 
at the end, he's going to be tired, right? So if success is ruling in his heart, and he's putting in long hours, and he's giving it all he's got, because he wants to be successful, that rules in his heart. So, he, so his behavior is long hours, working hard, comes home, tired, kind of distant, kind of aloof. Now, his wife, if for her, in her heart what rules is approval, acceptance, that feeling of, man, you love me, you want me. And he comes home, success is ruling his heart. He comes home tired, distant, burnt out, aloof. She's waiting. Husband's coming home to love me, to prove of me, to tell me that I'm awesome, to bring me flowers. And he's coming home just tired and done and wants to watch TV. So what does that do? Well, comes home. She says, man, you just, you don't care about me because this is affecting her heart. No approval. So maybe she's just distant or maybe she says something. Maybe she says, why don't you ever care for me? Why don't you ever bring me flowers? Why don't you ever, man, why are you so just, why, why don't you engage with me emotionally and have a conversation with me? What does that do to him? Well, again, let's look at success. If success is the thing for him, that can do two things. One thing it might do is affect his heart where he goes, I'm a failure. I want to be successful. You're telling me I'm a failure at being a husband. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back to work because I'm getting success there. And I feel successful at work. So what's he do? Spends more hours at work. Which then, what does that do to her? You see the cycles that happen? So I'm giving you some big kind of overview. But this plays out in all sorts of ways. Plays out in all sorts of smaller little things. I mean, people talk about all these things like, I mean, the silly examples of toothpaste not being rolled up the right way and seats being left down or up or stuck in the middle somehow or whatever. Got a creaky toilet, okay? So, I mean, all these different things and people... Man, we've got all, we fight about this little thing and this little thing and this little thing, but what's going on underneath? The Bible says we live for ourselves. We're seeking to build our kingdom where we get worth, where we get value, where we get meaning. What are you really living for? Even if you just think about that image of a kingdom, if your kingdom was completely awesome, what would it be? It's going to be different things for different people. One person might be told, man, I just live in my sweatpants. It's a comfortable, awesome kingdom. One person is, man, I'm a freaking billionaire. I've got, I'm the top of the game. I am, I am living the life of corporate success. And one person is, man, everybody loves me. I walk around and people hug me. Man, that feels great. That's my kingdom, right? But see, we have different things we're living for. Different things we're living for. And they conflict. And we live in a broken world where our kingdoms get messed up. So here's what this means. It's not so much that any of us have marriage problems or relationship problems, is that we have worship problems. That's what the Bible talks about is worship, that we're living for something other than God. We have God problems, not so much relationship problems. When something else takes the place of where God is supposed to be, it affects when we are living for our kingdom instead of God's kingdom, what ends up happening is that relationships suffer. Because instead of both of us saying, we are living for God, we're getting our meaning, our worth, our value, what we're actually living for is God and his kingdom. And we're both united around that. We're each living for our own thing and those battle. What happens is, you know, and this is interesting because sometimes you have this and it actually is going well. Because see, somebody can be a hindrance to your kingdom, so they can be jacking with it, or they can be a help to it, right? People can actually, I mean, if, if you go, man, I just want people to like me. That's what's really ruling my heart. And your spouse is giving that to you. Man, you're the best. You're awesome. And you're like, yes, this feels good. So then you're giving it to them and it, you're, I mean, it can actually kind of work well for a while because if we're trying to build our kingdom, we look at other people as tools. They can help us or they can get in the way of it. Sometimes they, they help us. 
And sometimes they get in the way of it. But again, what this means is in our hearts is the issue. We have God issues before we ever have people issues. Our hearts are living for something other than God. That's what causes the issues. We're actually living for another kingdom. Now, here's the truth. None of this is an accident. None of this is an accident. That relationships work like this, that marriage works like this, none of this is just an accident. It doesn't catch God by surprise because what is, whoa, what did I do? Hey, can you help me out back there? There we go. Oh my goodness. Okay. This is not very comfortable for my kingdom right now. Okay, so what is marriage for? It's not an accident, because what is marriage for? We come to it often looking for happiness, looking for comfort, looking for, man, this is where I'll find my satisfaction, this is where I'll be pleased, this is where I'll find the approval that I've been longing for, but what is it actually for? And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that God is after something so much more than just going, here's your kingdom, here you go, the happiness you wanted, the success you wanted, the comfort you wanted, God is actually after something so much more than that. Think about, okay, just think about how small that is. Think about how small it is to say, all I want is happiness. All I want is to come to this relationship and experience someone liking me and accepting me. God is after something so much more than that. Here's what the Bible says. This isn't about marriage, but just listen. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Now that's what happens in marriage, right? There's various trials, various things that come up, various conflict, various kingdom collision that happens. You've been grieved by various trials so that, here's why this stuff happens, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's what he's saying. God allows, God brings trials into our lives so that like the process of gold, here's how gold's made. You've got a hunk of something, some sort of rock and stuff, right? I'm not a, obviously, I don't do this, okay? But you've got some hunk of stuff, rock and stuff, okay? And then you take fire, you can watch it on YouTube. You take fire, it melts it, and it, you've got gold now. And if you want the gold to continually be purified, you keep melting, you keep burning away all the impurities until you've got that solid gold, 24 carat or whatever, okay? That's how gold is made. You've got to burn away the impurities. And what Peter is saying is that God brings trials into our life. He brings difficulty into our life or he allows it to happen. Why? To burn away the impurities so that this little line may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ is really interesting because here's what it's saying. It's kind of a weird thing. He's saying that when Jesus returns or when we, um, when we die and we face Jesus face to face, it's not talking about the praise and glory and honor of Jesus Christ, but that in our lives, as we are purified like gold, so God is making us into gold, that is found to result in praise and glory and honor of us. It doesn't mean God worships us, it doesn't mean other people, but it's saying that we are made into something beautiful. We're made into something glorious. We're made into something honorable. We're made into something that is like gold. So that God brings, so okay, what is marriage for? It's not just for happiness, because God is concerned with something so much bigger than that in our lives. And again, you can take this out of marriage and just the difficulty in your life. What is the collision of your kingdom? What is that for? Why does your life keep getting messed with? God is making you into something beautiful. 
He's making you into gold. Now that's painful, right? I mean, it doesn't feel good to get your kingdom all messed with. But that's how it, how does God do this? He doesn't do it by just saying, hey, you want to be holy? Sweet, let's do that on Thursday night. How he does it is by brick by brick, messing up your kingdom. And so he brings people into your life. He brings situations into your life because it's such, I mean, that can sound bad. Like, man, why would you want to mess with my kingdom? But if God's kingdom is so much better, so much more glorious, if living there, if living life under his reign in relationship with him, life with him is so much better, if he loves you, of course he wants to mess with the kingdom that you're building. Of course he wants to take away the bricks. And so he even brings people, this is part of what marriage is for. Part of what it is for is to mess with you. That's so romantic. So that's, that's part of what it's for, right? That is part of what it's for. Because that's part of what God is up to in your life. Here's, here's how Paul connects this directly to marriage, okay? Because if you're like, that's not a marriage verse. Well, I know, because I said there's not really marriage issues, there's people issues. But let me show you how Paul connects it to marriage. Here's what he says in the verse we looked at last week. And he's going to say something specifically about husbands and how they're supposed to treat their wives. But listen to what it says about what Jesus is doing with the church, his people. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? That he might sanctify her. That's another word for what we're talking about. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So by his word, he cleans us, he makes us pure, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So you see what it says Jesus is trying to do and how he connects that to marriage? What, so, you know, you, if you've ever been to a wedding or had a wedding, the bride is wearing all white, unless it's some cool, trendy, hipster wedding and she's wearing something else, right? But she's wearing all white to show this. This is where this comes from. This purity, this splendor, this glory. And what Paul is saying is that this is what Jesus is doing in our lives, we kind of pretend at it on a wedding day. But what Jesus is actually doing in your life is to make you something beautiful, to make you something glorious. That's what marriage is designed for. It's not just to say, here's your happy kingdom. It's to do this. It's to make us into gold. It's to make it. This is what Jesus is up to in your life. What Jesus is up to in your life, what he is continually working for, is moving you towards this beautiful picture of who you're actually meant to be. Your true self, a new creation. That's what he's doing. Everything that he's doing in your life is to move you to that place. Now here's something to me that's encouraging. What that means is even the difficulty, and I don't know where you are in your relationship or just your life, even the difficulties in your life, God is using those things to make you into something beautiful. It's not wasted. He's using that stuff. It's fire that starts to turn you into gold if you let it. So this is what marriage is for. This is what Jesus' vision is for you. This is what the Bible says community is for. I mean, in, in the Bible, when it talks about community, it says that we're supposed to, we're supposed to help one another. We're supposed to help each other see. Man, here's... Let me speak the truth to you to help you to grow into who Jesus is calling you to be. We've talked about that a lot over the summer. That that's what community is for. It's to help us move towards the picture that Jesus has for us. But if that's true of community, how much more on the micro scale of the marriage community? That's what Jesus is up to in your life. That's what it's for. Okay, so how does this actually work? How does this actually play itself out? So here's what happens, okay? If you're dating, you're on your best behavior, right? When people are dating, it's just a big sham, right? You're the best you'll ever be when you were dating. The best you'll ever be was when you were dating. 
I mean, you were just on top of your game. You were sending texts. You were writing letters. You were standing at the door at midnight with tons of flowers. Or maybe you weren't doing any of that. And uh, that's, you were still the best you'll ever be, okay? So whatever you were doing was, sorry, was the best you'll ever be, okay? You were, because you were not really yourself. You were trying to impress. You were trying to win. You were trying to, and so you're just on your best behavior. I mean, whether that's with bodily functions or with emotional functions, you're on your best behavior, okay? You just use your imagination, okay? Best behavior. Then what happens is this. You get married or into a relationship or a friend, you know, if you've been friends with someone for a long time, what begins to happen is you let your guard down. You let your guard down and your heart and your natural, who you really are, actually begins to come out. And then people say, what is going on? I married the wrong person. Or they say, man, this person is bringing out the worst in me. It's their fault. But that's not true. What's true is your true self is coming out. Marriage is like a mirror that's showing you. It, it's show, and it's, community is the same thing. The deeper you get into friendship with someone, the deeper you get into community with someone, it starts to show you what you're really like. And we don't like that. No one likes to know what they're really... So you ever listen to a recording of yourself? And you're like, I don't sound like that, do I? And your friends are like, uh, yeah, that's what you sound like, right? Or, you know, I love when people are like, man, I'm just not photogenic. A camera, I mean, a camera takes a picture of, I mean, there's no such thing as photogenic. I mean, there's just not, right? No one likes to know what they're really like. I mean, some of you have your heart broken right now, and I'm sorry. There's a box on the back of that sheet that says you need pastoral care, and we can talk. Okay? But, I mean, you are what you are. You look like what you look like. Even when you take pictures of yourself, you don't take real pictures of yourself. When you take a selfie, what do you do? You don't just go, (laughs) right? It's like, whatever the best angle is, right? Filter, seven filters, there we go, okay. Look, I look great. No one just goes, no one wants to know what they're really like. No one wants to see what you're really like whether that's physically or spiritually, and marriage does that to you. It shows you what you really are like. Because here's the thing. In your life, other people have told you what your issues are. They've told you. They've said, hey, you're, hey, you're kind of complaining about this. And then you were like, what? No, I'm not. Get away from me. And they were like, okay. Other people have said something to you before. Your parents have said things. Your friends have said things. But it's just kind of like, I mean, you don't know me or whatever, you know, just an off day. But when you enter into a relationship with somebody, you can't get away from them. And they see. And, they, and, and it's not just like a throwaway comment because what you do and how you live and the problems in your heart and you building your own kingdom and you living for yourself affects them in a much more powerful way than it just kind of affected this person over here that was like, hey, maybe you should work on that. And you're like, no, okay, fine. Because in marriage, you can't get away from it. You living for your kingdom, you building your life directly affects the other person and it affects their kingdom. And so it pushes, so that's how it plays out. First, you're on your best behavior. Then your true self begins to come out. And marriage shows you what you're really like. And here's the thing. God, I think, even specifically, allows you to see the other person's sin and self-centeredness even more. Like That's not nice of God. It is. God allows you to experience the other person's self-centeredness and living for themselves even more. Why? For two reasons. One is because he wants to mess with you to destroy your kingdom. And two is so that you can minister to them and help them. So, Let's go back to my example with my life. I think, and I think this is true if you're in a community group or just in relationship with people, friendships, I think God particularly puts people in your life to mess with you. You know, first opposites attract and then opposites attack, right? At first you're like, oh man, they're so friendly and they're so free-spirited and then you're like, oh, they're disorganized and they're... Right? 
man, you're so orderly and so, man, I love how you live your life with such structure. And then it's like, you're so anal, leave me alone, right? That's what happens. Yes, I did say that, okay? So that's what happens. God puts people in your life that are particularly going to rub you the wrong way because it messes with your kingdom and because that's probably the exact place that they need someone else to minister to them. So I think God gave me my wife, particularly for me. He gave me a wife that hates barking because I don't mind it. And that annoys me. And it messes with my kingdom. So that's a place then that God is showing me, look at your stupid little kingdom that needs to come down. This kingdom you're building of everything being comforted. Or he also allows me to see that area in her life where she's building her kingdom. Because this is how the scenario should go. She says, man, dogs are barking and blah, 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 and it's so annoying and so blah, blah, blah. And instead of me saying, stop complaining, that I see here's an area where her heart is living for something else, control, whatever. And I see that and I go, you know what? I'm going to enter into that world and be a help of God's grace in your life to help build you into something beautiful. Not because I'm annoyed by you, but because I really want you to be built into something beautiful. And so that changes everything. That changes how I interact with her. That means I enter into that world and complaining, which isn't good, okay? So that's true. Complaining isn't good. And I enter into it, though, and I go, yeah, that, that is hard. I understand that. I get how that's hurting you. I get how that's bothering you. And I'm entering into her world now. And then in a conversation over time, I'm able to help her see. Not because I don't like it and because I'm annoyed by it, but I'm able to help her see what it means to live for God in the middle of barking dogs. Not because I don't like that her kingdom is affecting my kingdom, but because I really want her to be built into something beautiful and, and filled with splendor like God is doing. Because it's better to live in God's kingdom. See, marriage is a mirror that shows you what you're actually like. And God is going to allow that to happen. Community is a mirror that shows you what you're really like. Because God is going to allow you to see the worst in people so that it messes with your kingdom and so that you can minister to the other person, help the other person, move along on the journey of what God is building them into. This is how this actually plays itself out. The, our job as community, and if you're a spouse, your job is to help the other person become who God is calling them to be. Not because that would be beneficial for you. Man, if I had a holy person that I was married to, that'd be great. But because you desire to see them become something beautiful that God is doing in their life. You see what God is doing in their life and you go, I want to be a part of that. You see who God is making them to be. You see the gold that he is creating in them and you go, I want to be a part of that. So that one day when you die and you're in heaven and you're standing before Jesus and Jesus looks at them and, and says, well done, good and faithful servant. And you go, I was a part of that. I was a part of that. I helped them. Instead of, finally, this is good. Do what you're going to do with them, Jesus. I've been dealing with them. Now you deal with them. Instead, you go, man, I was a part of that. I was a part of the beautiful thing that you were making them to be. That's God's vision for your life. God's vision for your life is making you into something beautiful, something gold, something splendorous. And he puts other people in your life and he's put you in other people's life to help them along that journey to become that. Not for self-centered, see, this is different. This is not for self-centered reasons. It's not if you were better, that would make my life better. It's I want to help you along the journey to become who God's making you to be. It's way different changes your motive, it changes your response, it changes your tone. So let me give you a couple of practical things. If you're dating, or if you're single and hope one day to be married, is this the kind of person you're looking for? Or are you just looking for someone to make you happy? 
Or are you looking for someone that helps you along that journey to become the beautiful thing that God is making you to be? This is part of why, this is part of why God says that Christians, if you're not a Christian, we're totally glad to have you. But this is part of why God says that Christians are supposed to marry Christians. Because the whole point of marriage is to create us into something that Jesus is creating us into be. So we need other people in our life that are committed to that same thing. So if you're dating, are you looking for somebody that's this or just someone to make you happy? The second practical thing I want you to do, if you're married, if you're married, I want you to share this week with your spouse. I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to post this up on Facebook. And if you're not in our Facebook group, you can email me and I can send it to you. But I want you to share with your spouse. Here's some of the ways. I want you to kind of go through that diagram. Here's some of the ways that my heart is building a kingdom. And just talk about that. Just getting on the same page and understanding one another helps. This is some of how I'm building my kingdom. This is how some of I'm building my kingdom. And then ask the other person, help me become glorious. Help me become gold. Help me become beautiful. I need you to do that for me. Get on the same page with each other. Share with each other. That's just something practical I want you to do. And then the last thing is this, okay? As we close. What do we need to do this? Because maybe it sounds nice and that sounds great. Okay, so my spouse is a jerk to me and I'm supposed to say, oh, you're a jerk. Let me help you become beautiful. Eh, it sounds nice, okay? But that's not usually how it works, right? Someone's a jerk and we go, oh, you're a jerk? I'll be a jerk. We don't go, oh, you're a jerk. Let me help you be beautiful. So what do we need for this? And what we need is back to what I said before. It's our hearts have to be living for a different kingdom. All relational issues are first God issues. All relational issues are first God issues. Everything that happens here begins here. If we are living for this kingdom, it flows out to other people. And if we're living for God's kingdom, we're getting our worth from him, our value from him, that flows out to other people too, in love. So what do we need for this? What we need is, man, we gotta pause and go, what kingdom am I living for? And why am I living for that kingdom? God is such a better king. If we're living for a kingdom of comfort, God is such a better source of comfort. If we're living for control, God is so much better when he's in control. If we're living for acceptance and people's approval, man, getting that in God's kingdom is so much better. What we need is to have our hearts reoriented to see that Jesus' kingdom is so much better than our kingdom. His kingdom is so much better. He's such a better king than we are. And when we take communion, that's exactly what we remember. We remember that Jesus came to this earth and he had his blood shed and he had his body broken on the cross. Why? He died, the verse that we read before, he died that we would no longer live for ourselves, but for him. And that isn't just this, hey, stop living for yourself, live for me. It's he died to take us out of our small, little, self-centered, pathetic kingdom. He died to take us out of that, to bring us into his glorious kingdom. And the reason he died, I mean, the, why, why did he have to die to do that? Is because we deserve death for treason, for building our own kingdoms. And instead, because he's a loving, gracious king, he says, I will die for you, and I will make my enemies my children. I will make those that have opposed me and built their own kingdom I'm going to bring them into my family, into my kingdom. That's called grace. That's called mercy. And he's a better king. He's a better king than you or me or any of us. And he's calling us into his kingdom to live life in his kingdom, with him as king. And this is an ongoing thing. That's what worship is. So when you take communion tonight, if you're a Christian... If you're not a Christian, don't, don't take communion unless you become a Christian. That's what it's for. It's for people that say, Jesus is my king. But if you're a Christian, when you come to take communion, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to confess sin 
if there's places that you see, even tonight, that have been revealed to you, here's where I've been living for my own kingdom. And then I want you to just thank him that he's called you out of such a small little kingdom into his glorious kingdom. And I want you to thank him that he has died to make you something beautiful. And he is absolutely committed to you. See, look, if you look at your life and you go, man, I feel like I'm not changing, I'm struggling, I'm always, man, no, step by step, God is making you into something beautiful. Thank him for that. Thank him that he gave you his life to bring you into his kingdom. And then we'll sing songs to praise him as a good king. If, if you don't like to sing, if you're not a Christian, if you're a Christian, you have to sing. If you're, if you're not a Christian and you don't want to sing, that's totally okay. Just read the words and, and just kind of see how what we, what we believe, we also sing, and it teaches what we believe, and you can just read the words, okay? So let, let me pray for us as we close our time. God, thank you that you are the king and that you call us into your kingdom. God, thank you that you love us enough to destroy our little kingdoms that we build. Thank you, God, that you love us so much that you don't leave us where we are, but you continue to purify us like gold. God, thank you that you have loved us in sending your son to this earth, that even though we are treasonous building our own kingdom, you are gracious calling us into your kingdom. Lord, I thank you for that grace. I thank you for that mercy. I thank you for that love. Lord, I pray for everyone in here that you would help us to see where we have lived for ourselves. Pray that you would reveal that to us. Lord, I pray specifically for those that are married or engaged or dating, that you would help them to see how their kingdom building is affecting, colliding with the other people in their life. And Lord, for all of us, whether single, married, whatever, Lord, help us just to see that. And help us to see how much beautiful your kingdom is. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.